Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, thank you so much for coming to our six o'clock service. We're honored to have you here tonight. Uh, we It's special because obviously it's Resurrection Sunday. Amen, amen, and amen, right? But it's also our five-year anniversary, so uh, we praise God for that. If, uh, if you were here, uh, if you were part of those Bible study days, would you just raise your hand? If you were here during the Bible study days, wow, the six o'clock, don't got a lot of Bible study people in it, but we praise God for you. Let's give it up for those folks. Well, we're, uh, and, and for those of you that uh, are either new to our church or been here for a few years, we love you too. But uh, those, <laughs> praise God, praise God. But those days of when we were 20 people were rough and tough, amen? And uh, so we praise God for you all being here with us. A couple that was with us during our beginning of our five years uh, was a couple named Nate and Camille Mumford, uh, dear, dear people to me. Uh, Nate, huge Cleveland Cavaliers fan. And so when we met him, uh, it was just so much fun. The guy just filled with so much laughter and fun. And so I, I took him out to eat to get to know him. We ended up going to a restaurant right around the corner. And when we went out to eat, he told me the reason why he was in New York City was because he was starting a foundation called the Chem Foundation. It was to help people who were struggling with cancer and, and really people were struggling with life. Nate would go on to tell me that he had a mom that had died of cancer. And I, and I thought to myself, man, that's amazing. And it wasn't until actually the next time that I hung out with him that I realized that Nate was not only starting this foundation because of his mother, but Nate was a cancer survivor himself. Nate had, had cancer at the age of eight. And at eight years old, he had Hodgkin's disease. And then Nate, uh, when he was 24 years old, he had what was called AML, leukemia. And so he went from eight years old and 24 years old, walking through cancer. And he was able to defeat cancer twice. And so just knowing him, just how joyful he was, he wanted to share with people how they could defeat cancer too, because much of his life was fighting cancer. Well, because we were starting out, we had about 20, 30 people here. When Nate wasn't in Bible study, I would know. Uh, and so I didn't see him one Sunday or, or one time in Bible study. And I said, uh, I called him up. I said, Nate, where you been? He said, oh, man, I'm in Cleveland. I, I got to do some tests on my kidney, you know, just things I got to do. I said, cool, cool, cool. A month goes by. I don't see Nate anymore. In the summer of 2014, Nate, um, I called him up. And Nate would eventually tell me on the phone that he now had colon cancer. Nate was now 34 years old. He had gotten married in 2013, and now in 2014, he was going through cancer. And so my, my natural thought was, I need to uh, comfort him. Let me pause for a second. Forgot to announce that we do have a, uh, a card. Did, did, were we able to put that up there? Okay. Um, so my natural, my natural thought was, man, I need to let this, let this brother know I'm here to encourage him. And he said, no, 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 don't worry about it, man. I'm going to beat this thing. And I was like, 
Uh, okay. He said, no, 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 no. You got You understand. You remember Jordan? You remember Jordan? I was like, yes, I remember Michael Jordan. He said, you remember when he, when he, when he won, they called him a three-peat champ? I said, yes. He says, I'm going to be a three-peat champ. I'm going to be colon cancer too. This dude, before he even beat cancer, made these t-shirts. And the, on the t-shirt, you can't see it. It says Mumford versus Lymph- uh, Hodgkins, Mumford versus AML, and Mumford versus... Uh, whatever kind of cancer, colon cancer that was, and he won a third time. He was a three-peat champ. Now, you got to get an understanding of this dude's personality. I mean, just filled with joy. So this was 2014. In the summer of 2016, the Cleveland Cavaliers are in the finals. Nate had decided that he wanted to fast from watching sports. He did not realize the Cavs would be in the finals, Amen. And so it's down to game seven, and he's listening on the radio in the middle of Crown Heights. And so we have a little video to show you Nate's personality. And this is when the Cavaliers won the championship. And so you could see, man, just a dude just filled with so much joy. And so I love watching the Cavs win. I love seeing Nate celebrate. He was a winner. Then a year later, uh, well, actually a few months later, Nate had to move back to Cleveland. And then the summer of 2017, I was texting Nate and I wasn't getting any responses. And then Camille, his wife, was texting me and she let me know that Nate was real sick. And, and then I eventually, uh, I did get a chance to text with him a little bit. He wasn't able to talk that much. He was still encouraged. But then in the summer of uh, 2016 or 2017, uh, Nate passed away. And Nate, like us all, was a really good person. But Nate had an appointment with death. The Bible says that it is appointed for a man to die once and then come to judgment, meaning that we all will have an appointment with death. We all will have to face that reality. And when you think about it, what makes it so hard to see people like Nate go is that Nate was a good dude. I mean, when you see him up there, you could just feel his energy. That's who he was, just a good guy. The reality is that a CBS poll was taken several years ago, and it said three out of four Americans believe in the existence of heaven and hell. It went on to say that 82% of those polled believed they were going to heaven. And when you press down into the data, functionally, what what you found was people thought they were going to heaven essentially because they were a good person. The reality is that even when you pressed in more, as I looked at that CBS poll, 
people, you could have called it heaven, you could have called it hell, but the names didn't matter. They felt they were good people going to a good place. Religion didn't matter as much. But when I did Nate's funeral, I was confident not in Nate's goodness, but rather the goodness of Jesus. And you have to know that part of the story of knowing Jesus and knowing the power of Jesus' story, at the heart of it is how he thought about death. Jesus thought he could beat death, and he predicted it in his own narrative. One time while Jesus was dealing with uh, this family that was grieving the loss of their brother, his name was Lazarus, Jesus began to minister to a young lady named Martha. And while they were in discussion in John 11, Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And verse 24, Martha said to him, oh, I know. Oh, I already know. I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, what that meant was she believed, yes, I believe in an afterlife, and I believe that he will be in a good place. And Jesus intervenes. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection. And I am the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And in verse 26, he says, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And what Jesus was trying to intervene to get her to understand was, I'm not talking about good people going to a good place. I'm talking about people knowing me. I am the resurrection and I'm the life. I do not, Jesus was saying, I do not want to be your ticket into heaven. I want to be someone you treasure. Went to the movies one time. I walked in and I got my ticket. And as we walked in and we sat down, you know, every now and then the people will come in with the flashlight and check your ticket. And I looked at them, I was like, I don't have the ticket. I threw it out. And they were like, well, you know, well, can you show us a receipt? And I was like, I got my wife. We showed them a receipt and all that. And I thought about it. And because we tend to think in the same way that Jesus is just a ticket, what do you do with your ticket? You throw it out because it was only intended to get you to a good place. You see, again, Jesus doesn't want to be a ticket. He wants to be a treasure. He wants to be someone you know. And some of you here, you're, you're, you're essentially your relationship with God is fire prevention, right? Like you don't want to go to hell, but simultaneously you don't want Jesus. But Jesus is like, I don't want to be a conduit. I want to be a relationship. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. And so this is the story of understanding Jesus. You got to understand Jesus when he walked up into Jerusalem, when he came up into town, he was a bad boy, man. He was different than everybody. There were other rebels. There was a lot of political controversy at the time. But when Jesus came into town, I mean, he was unlike all the other guys. Jesus always had a good comeback, man. When they, when they asked, give to Caesar, when, when they were asking about money, he would say, give to Caesar, to Caesar, give to God, to God. I mean, people were just amazed by his teaching and his, he was so profound. Whenever Jesus was performing a miracle, Jesus never was like, man, I can't get this to work. Jesus always got people to rise from the dead. Jesus always was able to turn water into wine. Jesus always was able to get a young boy and raise him up. Jesus always was able to perform whatever miracle they wanted to perform. Why is that important? Because when Jesus got arrested on Thursday night, 
the disciples were like, don't worry about it. Jesus is going to, look, look, watch this, watch this. Break out them chains, Jesus. Let's go. Come on, Jesus. You know, you did, this is Jesus. Jesus, all, Jesus always, he always, he always, but he didn't. And the disciples' confidence in him was based on the fact that Jesus always did things immediately and now they had to wait. And their doubting didn't come from the fact that they didn't love Jesus, but they hated waiting. And it was in that moment that Jesus was putting their faith to the test. And so the reality is is that things got harder on Thursday night. And they're watching their friend get tortured. Things are getting harder Friday morning as he's in this kangaroo court and he's getting this, these lies thrown at him. And he's in an unjust system. And Peter, one of his closest friends, wasn't even able to admit he knew him. And then Jesus... Jesus is placed on a cross. And it says in Mark 15, they're now mocking him. The soldiers are mocking him. They've already put a crown of thorns on him. They put a purple robe on him. They're saying king of the Jews. They're making fun of this Jesus that always. So the disciples are watching this. It says of the soldiers, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. I thought you raised Lazarus from the dead. You you can't even get yourself off the cross. Verse 32, let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. We want to do it now since you always do it now. And even those who were crucified with him taunted him. I tell you, misery loves company. These jokers are on the cross like, yo, you ought to do that now, man. You know what I'm saying? And now even they are making fun of him. And it's because... In the midst of all this, people want to see your power right now, God. And so since I don't see a demonstration of your power, Jesus, you must be like Moses. Because Moses did miracles, but he died. You must be like Elisha or Elijah. You must be like Jeremiah or Isaiah, Malachi. You must be like one of those prophets. I know you said you're more than a prophet, but you must be like a prophet because all those prophets are in the grave. You must be like them. So what did they do? Was there one disciple that said, no, guys, let's remember back to what Jesus said. No one did that. It says in Mark 16, when the Sabbath was over, Saturday is over, they've waited a day, no Jesus. Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. You know what that means? They are not waiting for Jesus. They're preparing his body. They are saying, oh, yeah, Jesus, oh, yeah, Jesus is dead. Mm-hmm, yeah, we got to make his body smell good. And we got to do all this preparation. Jesus is gone, y'all. Because they had endured Thursday night. And they endured watching him on Friday. And then now, the Sabbath is over. Saturday's over. Jesus is not coming back. So the women, they they look in this tomb. They don't see the body of Jesus. So again, in this moment, they could say, oh, well, Jesus is alive. Jesus said he was going to rise from the dead. But that's not what they did. 
It says in John 20 and 2, So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Look at that. Them, they, they believe Jews took the body and are now still mocking him. No one is believing. They believe a conspiracy has happened, but they do not have faith. They do not have belief. They are not trusting in what Jesus has said. And then it says in Luke 24, 11, the women are saying, hey, the body is gone. And it says in Luke 24, 11, but these words seem like nonsense to them. And they did not believe the women. The women are right there looking in the tomb and they don't even believe that Jesus is out of the tomb. Now, there's two parts to this. The first part is that they didn't believe women because at that time, they just did not believe women. They were in a patriarchal, uh, uh, misogynistic society, very chauvinistic. So the very fact that they were women telling the story of Jesus discounted everything they had to say. And side note, in commercial break, Jesus was already creating an upside-down kingdom where those that did not have power would have power. And Jesus was intentionally placing those that were disregarded now to be in the front of the line telling his story. That was intentional on Jesus' behalf. But I know that we're in a sermon, right? So we're like, mm, look at them. They didn't believe. Mm, they, they just look at that unbelief. Mm-hmm. I see that unbelief. How many of y'all, any, any of y'all were at our Good Friday concert, huh? Y'all were at a Good Friday song? It was lit, hmm? as the young folks say. Good Friday. We do seven last words on Good Friday, huh? Where the preacher's all supposed to get 10 minutes and get like 30, amen. We do Resurrection Sunday. We get all of our fresh clothes out. What about Saturday? You see, we don't talk enough about Saturday. Because Saturday is, is when you're in the, the, the in-between of trying to understand who God is. Saturday is when all the doubting is arising and you're trying to figure out. It is in this Saturday moment. You see, on Friday, there's great confusion. But Sunday, there's great clarity. On Friday, there's this fear. But on Sunday, there's great courage. On Friday, there's death, but on Sunday, there's life. And we live in a Saturday world where we're trying to figure out what did God say and what did God do? We want all that God has given us. But if we're honest, we start to pull back from Jesus because our friends mock him. And as everyone takes a step back, we want to fall in line because we live in a Saturday world of doubters and mockers. They're jeering him. They're putting a crown of thorns on him. And we sit and watch and we walk in fear. And like Peter, we deny him because the crowds are against him. We live in a Saturday world. And the fact of the matter is, it is amazing how quick they went from watching him do miracles to believing he was merely a prophet. You see, because we live in that tension of Saturday as well, it is very easy for us 
to say, well, I've never seen Jesus, and so it's harder for us to believe. So what we would rather do is believe in Jesus' great teachings. Oh, we love the Sermon on the Mount. Love it. Mm, about the poor and all that good. Love the Sermon on the Mount. He fed the poor. Love that. Oh, he, he, I, I love Jesus. He was merciful. He did great things. That is awesome. And so we'll love his teaching. But we will take away his power. Because if I allow you to good, be a good teacher, I can take your recommendations. But if you are the risen Savior, then I have to look at you as having commands. The word obey functions underneath that concept of a Lord. And so we are in this Saturday reality where we love his teaching. In many ways, we want to resurrect Jesus' life and teachings, but we want to leave his body in the grave. The reality is that his power comes from the fact that he resurrected. Jesus continues. He, as the old preacher says, early Sunday morning, he rose up. In John 20, it says, when it was evening, on the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with doors locked because they feared the Jews. Because they're not even thinking that Jesus had the power, they have to live now in their fears. And there with their doors locked, they sit there wondering what would happen of life. And in Luke 24, 37, it says Jesus just appears to them. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, John 20 and 19. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And it's so good. I'm so glad Jesus is so different than me. Because, you know, if I told you that I was going to rise from the dead, then what I'm waiting for when, like, Sunday comes, it's like 10, 9, Eight, seven, six. Then I just, I got on Diana Ross. I'm coming and I'm coming out like popping. And I'm waiting for people to like celebrate and no one was waiting for me. I'm mad if it's seven, if I, we said seven o'clock and it's 7.15, I'm mad at you for like a week. Like I'm just still dealing with that. Like, and some of y'all are like that. Amen. Like you're working through that in life. Like, and Jesus is so sensitive and gentle with them because the first thing when he steps in the room, the first thing he does not say is where were you at? He comes to where they are. They didn't come to where he was. He met them where they were. And the first words out of his mouth weren't, where were you? I haven't seen you. What you been doing? I've seen where you at. I've been watching you. He didn't say, the first thing he said was peace. I, I've, I've watched you. I know you're afraid right now. I know you're filled with doubts. Peace. Peace be with you. And the peace of God is what the first thing he wanted to experience. He wanted them to encounter him and encounter his peace. I want to say to you tonight that some of you feel when, when someone says, hey, I haven't seen you in a while, or I, we'd love to see you some more, you feel the condemnation of it. But do not feel condemnation. Feel the peace of Jesus Christ, that God wants you closer and he wants you to experience his peace and his power. It says in Luke 24, 37, <laughs> it 
they still don't believe. This is just crazy. I love the Bible in that it just doesn't, like if I wrote the Bible, I would leave out the parts where I looked foolish. You know what I'm saying? My, my Bible would just be, a, it, my Bible would be like Instagram, nothing but highlight reels, right? Just nothing but like, yeah, and then I believe, you know what I'm saying? Like whole thing. But look what it says. It says they were startled and terrified. And then it says they thought they were seeing a ghost. They didn't even believe them. The risen Savior walks up to them, says peace, all this other stuff. And they're like, is that a ghost? I don't know. And Jesus says, why are you troubled? Luke 24. And he asks them, why do doubts arise in your hearts? I'll tell you why doubts arose. Jesus, you were such a good person. You did all these miracles, and you got crucified. And if we're honest, many of our doubts arise, not just because God is good, but life is so bad sometimes. My my friend Nate, I remember doing his funeral. And when I was there, I met his dad. And there I would discover that his father had endured watching his wife pass away from cancer, watching his son fight and battle cancer. And then he had another son that was shot and killed outside of a club. The, the brother was sitting in his car. He wasn't gangbang. He was sitting in his car and someone decided to start spraying bullets and it shot him and killed him in his car. And I looked at him. And when you're in those moments... No matter how much faith and belief you have it, we have our doubts because of the weights of this world, because life can be so bad. They saw the worst thing imaginable happen to the best person they knew. And you say, if that could happen to them, if cancer could happen to him, if they could get a divorce, if, if their child could go through all that, oh, what's for me? And our doubts arise. And they doubted. But Jesus met them right where they were. And Jesus gave them an encounter with the risen Savior. And it says in Luke 24, 28 and 29, you are witnesses of these things. And then he says, and look, I am sending you. I want you to tell the world I am alive. Jesus gave them an encounter. Jesus didn't sit back and give them all of the answers of life. In fact, Jesus gives them this incredible encounter, and then he gives them a mission and a purpose to now tell the world that Christ is alive. And they too could have resurrection power in their life. He gives them a purpose and a destiny. When you look, you know one of our problems is that when we read the Bible, we just see the Bible as a bunch of books. We see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, the other John, James and Paul. And we're like, oh man, look at all these books. But y'all, these aren't books, these are people. And these are people that had an encounter with the risen Savior. 
And maybe we could understand the Bible more not as a bunch of books, but as a bunch of people that experienced and encountered the resurrected Jesus and had their life transformed and changed. And that gave them purpose to be able to write about such a great man who was seen alive. That gave them their future, and that gave them their hope. And so the resurrection of Jesus is what launched the church. It was the resurrection. It was, nobody, nobody, when Jesus died, nobody was checking for Jesus. Nobody was writing no books. Nobody was going to the tomb waiting for him. Nobody. The only thing that launched the church was that Jesus had to meet them where they are and say, yes, I am alive. It is the resurrection that started this thing. And, in, and then what happens is they start writing about Jesus. It's going to blow your mind. They start writing about Jesus. And they start telling people about Jesus and people start encountering Jesus even though they did not meet him. People start saying, yo, Jesus is like, he, he's, a, he's like a risen savior and like he, people wrote about him and like you can get to know him. And while people are talking, somehow powerfully and mystically, the power of Jesus starts working in these people's lives. And the same, I mean, my dad was an atheist. And my dad went from being an atheist to becoming a PhD New Testament scholar. Not because he was reading, but because he had an encounter with Jesus. And you all in here, it's not just because of reading. That has a part of it, but it's not books and reading and science. It's Jesus. It's an encounter. It's an calling. It's a confrontation. God doesn't just get to know you. He interrupts you. And he meets you where you are. And that's what happened to these folks. He ran up on them. Amen. <laughs> and so Jesus, Jesus... People start singing to Jesus. They read about Jesus. They teach about Jesus. And this Jesus movement starts happening, not because Jesus is walking around, but there are people who are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and they've had an encounter with him. And so one of those people were Paul. And this is what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, 9 and 10. This is what he says. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which has given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So Paul was saying that God has rescued us from hell and he has called us into a relationship. And then he says, verse 10, this has now been made evident, meaning we, it has been revealed to us through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. He's saying the only way we can be confident of that is that the fact that Christ rose from the dead and he appeared to us. And then he says, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He says he abolished death. He destroyed death. Death and Jesus went to war and Jesus won because he rose from the dead. But he also says, listen, he didn't just say he defeated defeated death as in just for him personally. He's saying he defeated it for us. I went to Mississippi one time. 
I'm a sub- suburbs kid, you know, so I, I don't even try to front like I, like sometimes people are talking like, you know, when I grew up in the projects, I'm like, yeah, man, I was in the cul-de-sac, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? Like, I just didn't have that life. So when I went down south, I tell people I'm from New York and they just want to start fighting me. And I'm just like, I don't, I didn't, I'm on school buses and that's not what I do. And so eventually I had to learn how to fight. So I'm not a punk, just anybody that just wants to figure that out. Um, but, you know, so I go down south and like anybody, like I'm walking down the street and there's these dudes, they heard I'm from New York and they want to just confront me. And I'm just like, guys, this is not even, and like anybody, I had a big cousin. And my cousin whooped this kid so bad. Now, the funny thing is we saw him the next week, and I looked at him, and he just put his head down, and I was like, man, I'm so sorry. And, like, he punked him. He was still strong, and he was still powerful, but he had taken away his power so that he couldn't intimidate me anymore. And the fact of the matter is is that death still takes people out, but it can't intimidate those who know Jesus. He didn't just take out the power of death for himself. He took out the power of death for us so that we would not be afraid of death. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, oh, death, where is your sting? Yes, it hurt, but it doesn't sting. And you've taken away the power of death. Paul says in Philippians 1, verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What kind of mentality is that? Where you think death is an advantage. Where you're like, man, living is cool, but dying is better. Who thinks like that? Only those that would have confidence in eternity. But he's punk death. He took away death's power so that we can look at death and we say, well, I might die, but I know I will live. And just like Jesus looking at Martha, he says, do you believe this? I know I'm going to raise your brother up from the dead, and I know I've given you good teaching, but do you believe this? Because his belief in Jesus, in his resurrection, and his teaching. Our belief in Christ gives us advantages. My kids, I was in the pool with them one time. And we had the, one of those balls that you, you know, you push down and we kept pushing this ball down. We kept pushing this ball down. And the more pressure we put on the ball, the more it just jumped up from the water. And my kids were like, why, daddy, why does that do that? It's called buoyancy. That's code word for bounce back. It doesn't matter how much pressure. In fact, the more pressure you put on it, the harder it will bounce back. And the the reality is that hope in Christ gives you buoyancy, spiritual buoyancy. Because in in the, the rest of your life, you can say, if Christ rose from the dead, he can defeat this. If he rose from the dead, he can defeat rent. Amen, amen, hallelujah. My, um, my, uh, my friends, my friends. One time, a friend of mine was telling me about a counseling appointment he was in. The husband was like, 
you have to understand what I deal with with her. She is just way too much. I mean, I'm tired of this. I can't go through this anymore. The wife was like, listen, this is what I deal with every week. This is what I got to go through. I'm, I'm tired of this too. You know what? We're, we're done. This is over. The counselor said, so you're saying to me that you want to end your relationship. They said, yes, I can't deal with it. They said, what about the kids? Well, if anything, we'll endure for the kids, but our relationship is dead. We don't want this anymore. I don't have any feelings for him. He's like, I don't have any feelings for her. We don't have anything anymore. We want it over. We're done. He said, now, are you all Christians? And he said, they said, yes, but we, we just, we can't go on. Jesus is good, I know, but we just can't go on with one another. And he says, well, I'm not, I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm just asking you a question. Do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? And they looked at each other and said, yes. So you believe Jesus rose from the dead, but you don't think he can resurrect your relationship? And that same couple started to rest not in their past or in their own abilities. They started to rest in the power of Jesus, and they remained together. What would it look like if your life had more buoyancy, more bounce back, knowing that nothing is too powerful and too hard for God? The other thing that Believing in the resurrection gives you is this understanding of an extended story. I am amazed at how many people live in crisis mode. A quarter-life crisis, a mid-life crisis, a 50-year-old crisis, a 60-year-old crisis. They're always in crisis. Why? Because life is never enough. Because you believe you have to have it right now. And it will never be enough. I've been married this year 16 years. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm living the dream. I actually like my wife. My wife likes me, right? We actually have, I mean, we love each other, right? But we like each other. Like we like being around one another. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Because, I mean, some of us grew up in houses where like there's love, but they don't like this. It's like, ugh, right? We have a good thing. But it's not enough. Oh, no. Oh, my kids, they're wonderful. Curls popping, all that. Love them. Love them. It's not enough. No, it's not enough. I got a great church. You see this church? Look at this. Look at this. Look at that. Y'all beautiful. Yeah. Not enough. Because when I walk away from Good Friday services and Easter services, it's so good, but it only takes to the next day where I feel something in my heart broken where I need more. And, 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 as I, and then when you ter- start turning 42 and you start feeling your knees creak a little bit and you start thinking about death, death becomes real. And you start wanting life now. And you got to think, man, have I accomplished this? Have I made this? And you're just seeing it. You can almost see the end there. And you're thinking, this is going to end. And i got to do it now. And hope in Christ gives you an extended story where you'd think not, as death it being the end, but just a continuation. Uh, I told this to the earlier crowd. They were offended. Um, I am not a Marvel comic fan. I know that that might hurt your heart. So, sorry, some people actually walk. No, they didn't walk out. But 
Um, I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't watched The Hulk or Iron Man. I didn't watch any of that. I went to see Black Panther because I am, I went because I'm black, okay? And I was like, that's a whole cast of black people, so I'm going, so I'm going to go and just, ah, and just, well, I walked in. So I was, if it, even if it was bad, I was just going to pay homage to it, like, oh, this is great, right? That's all that was. So I go, loved it. I'm like, oh, man, Wakanda, Amen. And then the credits started going up. So I'm packing my stuff, getting ready to go. Listen now, listen, listen now. And I was next to uh, Bex. Bex is Australian. And she said, where are you going? (laughs) And I was like, I'm out. The movie's over. She was like, sit down. (laughs) And I was like, what? Okay, all right. So I was like, so at this point, I'm like, this is stupid. Why are we watching the credits? And everybody's just like, only if he knew. <laughs> only if he knew. And so I'm just, I'm like, oh, the end is not the end. Right? And many people live in the pressure of now because they think the end is the end. And if you are a believer, you should know the end is not the end. Your life is not defined in the next car, the next house, the next job, the next gig. Whether you're married or not, Jesus is enough, and he will be enough. If you don't get another kiss, one kiss from Jesus will be better than a thousand kisses on earth. Jesus is enough. And so when being with him, we know we have an extended story. But the other thing that we get is we get a story to tell. We get to tell the world that the end is not the end. We get to tell everybody that there's more to this life. No, 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 you don't have to worry. Yes, oh man, I I remember when when Trump got elected and people were like, this is the end. I'm like, y'all, this is not the end. This is bad, but this is not the end. There's more. And they were like, it can't get worse. Oh, it can get worse. But what if you knew it would get better? What if there was more? What if there was more life? I was not into marble, but I did play video games. When I played this one game called Contra Affair, I played, played, I played, I played, I played my heart till my heart was content. And in so doing, in so doing, I would play and I would have my three men. They would die. And I'd play and I'd play. And then one day, my friend Eric came over and he said, I died, and he said, what are you doing? I said, my game's over. He said, you don't know about the code? I said, what code? He said, you don't know the code? I said, I don't know the code. He said, let me tell you the code. He said, do you know if you press up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, start, you will get tons of life. I said, I did not know this. He said, try it. So I tried it for myself. And so I said one day by myself, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, start. Tons of life evermore. 
And so I would go to my friends and they would be playing Contra. I'm like, you play Contra? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you think you dead? Let me tell you about the code. And I was telling everybody about the code because the code was the cheat code. How do you, many of you know Jesus is the up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, starts? Huh? How many of you know that? How many of you know we have a story to tell? And here's why I know. Here's why I know. I trust that this church is never going to be enough. And people, Brooklyn will never be enough. But Jesus is enough. And he's going to give me life extended forevermore. And if we have that picture of Nate, put that picture of Nate back up. Yeah, Nate, yeah. Nate looks like he lost. But I know Nate knew the cheat code. And because I know Nate knew the cheat code. It's one thing to believe LeBron James won you a championship. And you saw how he celebrated? I know he's celebrating in heaven because Jesus won his victory. If we could have the worship team come up tonight, tonight, my prayer for you is this. That you would live like you have a story to tell. And you would not put all the pressure on you, but you would know that Jesus, Jesus is the one that I lay all the pressure on. He's the one that won victory for me. And I want to celebrate a full life, a full life in Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you tonight. We ask you tonight. We ask you tonight. For those that are living in a constant crisis because life is not enough. You won the victory over life. You won the victory over death. You are our life. God, for those that are feeling lost and they're feeling as if they've got to just do one more thing to have their life count, God, would you walk up to them and say, No, just like the disciples, they weren't waiting at the grave. But you went to them and said, peace. And even if there are people in here that don't come back next week, Jesus, they call him the hound of heaven chasing us down. He wants to meet you in your apartment and say, peace. He wants to reach you where you are. And so tonight, meet us. Teach us. You are reaching down through the resurrection power and you are giving us encounters. Give someone an encounter tonight with you, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I wonder if you'd stand with me. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.